Welcome to Clinical Research Confidential. On this show, we highlight and demystify the inner workings of this greatly misunderstood activity called clinical research. Now, why is clinical research important? Well, it's the basis for nearly every modern remedy for sickness and a growing method to build trust and solutions meant to optimize health. But it's not for the faint of heart. And so on this show, you'll hear what it really takes to succeed in the clinical research game. I'm your host, Joseph Kim, and I've spent over 23 years in the clinical research industry, now serving as the Chief Strategy Officer for Proof Pilot. Get ready for some adventures as we look into the underbelly of clinical research. Adam Larrabee, really great to have you. I'm happy to introduce you to the audience. Everyone, Adam Larrabee is the president of Rochester Clinical Research. Uh, welcome to Research Confidential. Thanks for having me, Joe. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning. Like, how do you get into a business like clinical research? It is something that I fell into myself. Like, I don't go to college for doing this. Uh, how did you end up doing this sort of thing versus like flipping burgers or doing, you know, uh, actually being a doctor yourself? <laughs> uh, flipping burgers was definitely on the table at one point. Fortunately, my mother started the company back in 1994, and I joined her in 2008. I needed a, a, a credit for college, and I got some. Uh, Real world, real world experience with her and doing business development. And then I just kind of proved myself throughout the way and became president in 2016. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think I met you as a business development person for RCR. And like, what was most surprising to you about, you know, trying to sell your site as a clinic for research? Most surprising. I mean, I, I did... I'll, just the, the number of outreach, the cold calling that was new to me, surprising business development. You know, you, you reach out to all these sponsors, they've got these programs and the, the sales cycle was so long. It was eye-opening just how much goes into the process of initiating a trial. So it was always apparent to me that you need to have a lot of different sponsor opportunities lined up because not all of them ended up going forth. So yeah. just, that was that was eye-opening. Yeah, which is a kind of a blessing and a curse because every sponsor works a little bit differently, right? <laughs> yeah, they do. They they do, and even there's sponsors that work differently across therapeutic teams. And it's like they don't, it's not like they're, they're not always talking to each other. Right. So this is kind of where we're starting to tug at the corners of what we'll talk about today, which is like the real challenge and difficulty of being a site because you know of a variety of aspects. And we can blame the sponsor here. Let's just be, let's just call it what it is. Like they are, have a variety of ways of working, like you said, even within their own company. And that variety, I'm guessing, leads to a lot of headache and mistakes that really, let's be honest, aren't your fault per se, because you're smart, capable people. It's a lot of it has to do with this variety, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, they, they certainly don't make our lives any easier as a research site. You know, they... They are sponsors. There are CROs that uh, are supposed to help them facilitate trial conduct and onboarding process. But at the end of the day, they don't really know what we do, how we do it, and everything that goes into supporting a study from the site's perspective. And if they had a better understanding, I think some things would run smoother, but that requires you know, a significant investment. Yeah. Yeah. So for the audience who may not know all the specific jargon we're using, a, a sponsor in this case is a typically a drug or device company who has an intervention that they're trying to prove. And then the site is a clinic made up of a variety of 
healthcare professionals and other administrative staff where they actually enroll patients and conduct the study. So let's talk about, you know, what things they don't get right. And we'll start from, from the beginning in terms of like training and onboarding. Yeah, yeah, I guess training and onboarding, the facilitation of that entire process, I think could be better. And I, I think about uh, the pandemic from a research site's perspective and the ramping up that we had to do, the, the, the hiring of all the nurses, the study coordinators, ancillary support staff, research assistants, you name it. There's a lot of role and we've created a lot of roles, but that was a significant investment of, of just hiring and onboarding people. And then once you have them, you, you need to really invest in training and development. If we want to be successful, we have to invest in our people. And I, I that to me stands out as lacking uh, in, at the sponsor and, 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 and CRO of the contract resource organization, that level, I, I, I'd like to see more of that same investment in their development of their people, because at the end of the day, it's going to make them better and we have to work with them. And it will, so it will make us better too. And, the, and then at the end of the day, the data we're collecting from the patients through their participation in the trials becomes better. Yeah, I mean, this is serious stuff. It's it's science, right? And it has to be done like not perfectly, but with a high level of excellence. And if you to your point, if you're not going to really invest in your people to make sure that they're experts in the protocol at the very least, not to mention just expert clinical researchers, there's only so much you can do as a site to make sure that you're gonna do things the right way. So let's talk about like the specific like site initiation visit, right? Where, where, you know, a field person from the sponsor or CRO has to come and like train you how to do the protocol. How effective is that 10 out of 10 times? How effective is it? Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, all right, on a one to 10 scale, 10 being the most effective, I, I rank uh, your average SIV, I give it maybe a six or seven yeah. that, that leaves and that, that, that final three or four points there are where all the real unknowns are. But stepping back before that at SID, before that the kickoff meeting for the trial, it really, the trial execution starts at the pre-site qualification visit, where the sponsor or the CRO is assessing a research site facility's ability to do the trial. And we're assessing our ability to perform on that as well. And we don't always have all of the information about the study. We may have just a summary synopsis of the procedures that are done for that trial for the for number of patients. They don't, we don't always know how many sites are going to be used or the total number of patients. So it's it's kind of hard to project how many they want us to do. It's where you play the game of this is how many patients we can enroll for you. And, and they say, well, we need you to do this many, but they don't tell us they need us to do that many all the time because. The person that's assessing us doesn't always have all the answers, but it's it's after that pre-site qualification visit that then then we're selected, and now we have to determine are we able to do this. But we're it's going off, and then we get more information slowly. So it's kind of the way of the beast, but it definitely plays into our ability to do it because, of course, once we're selected, they want us to start immediately. Yeah, and, and, and let's get that SIV scheduled. So. Things get better as the process moves along from assessing us to selecting us to initiating us, where it's only a seven, six or seven out of 10 at that point to finally being greenlighted, uh, which could be the next day, it could be a week later or, or a month. Uh, so there's a, 
along the steps, there's always room for improvement. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's put it into the framing of, you know, looking for a job and being hired, which essentially is what it is. I mean, what you're saying is your employer is coming to you with like a half-baked description of your job. And then you say, well, based on what you said, I can do it, but you know, full well in your mind, they're leaving some stuff out or they don't know yet. And then when they hire you, they're like, Hey, let's start tomorrow. <laughs> and you're, <laughs> and you're really caught on your heels then uh, yep. with, with all that. And, and not to mention you're negotiating your salary after you've been selected. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little crazy. I have to, I have yep. to say when you, when you think about it, just objectively uh, kudos yep. for you for staying in this industry. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the holes you mentioned, right? So you, you get, you get a, an incomplete set of assumptions about the protocol. Like here are the things you have to do in this order and this timing. And then when you finally get the protocol, what does that document really look like? And how helpful is it as like the real manual for for running the study? Well, I I think it it misses some key things, uh, which is why they have other manuals, like, like the lab manual. Those are important. You need that. What's missing is how much of what we'll need to do the protocol is going to be supplied. We know our goal of patients that's being we're being asked to enroll in a study. Uh, say it's twenty patients that they want us to enroll, uh, but are we be, being given the resources we need to see all twenty? And when are those lab kits, the needles, the tubes for us to collect the blood in? all the, the, the access to all the various portals that we use to enter the data into, those require training and certificates. When are we receiving that? Do they have all the people we have listed as support for us to do this in their databases so that they'll be given that those accesses? Those necessarily belong in the protocol, but it's directly tied to our ability to do the protocol. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's poorly communicated either either because they don't know or they forget or combination of both or they're still working on it yeah i just think it's 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 known steps that need to occur and we'll get to them and we get to them and we have people that'll work with you to help you but they're in a different time zone speak a different language don't really know the protocol or or the program as well as they should it's it's just it's all people that are involved in supporting the entire process whether it's a project manager, a data manager, a nurse, a doctor, a receptionist, there's, it's all people at the end of the day. And I think communication around all these moving parts could, I would rank as a, a, a two or three. Yeah. So even before the protocol starts, wow, two to three, that's, that's a that's massive bad. failure. I mean, yeah. even six or seven, that's a D plus C minus right there. So that's not so great either. <laughs> <laughs> So even, so forget about the protocol conduct, even all the prep for doing it, that's its own project itself. And you, you, you don't have line of sight and it's just people doing things without being integrated and connected in the final, you know, the total end game, which is like activate the site. Yep. That, that, yeah. That's, that's lagging. I immediately think of all the other studies, the research studies we're doing and the patients we're seeing for all the other programs. So, yeah. Any study that we do for a sponsor is just one study for that one sponsor. We have a lot of different research studies. We're working on a lot of different new and exciting stuff, whether it's COVID vaccines or RSV this, this fall and flu this fall. Everything's being shifted. 
but we still have these COVID vaccine trials that we're supporting. Uh, so the development of these RSV or flu vaccine vaccines is kind of dependent on these sites that focus in vaccine work that are currently supporting other work and communicating timelines for these upcoming programs and our ability to enroll more patients in those while we support these other trials, it, it's, it's becoming more and more difficult. So we have to block days, set aside de designated days to see patients for individual projects. And then those days shift or they're not clearly communicated or the stuff we need to do them gets delayed or you know, IP gets held up at customs. All these things play into any one research site's ability to perform on all their trials because they all kind of affect the work day. Right, so all these different supply chains, accesses, uh, drug supply, none of that's orchestrated in a tight way where you can kind of just let things kind of run automatically where things will get triggered because it's time to get triggered versus you chasing down all of this, like, well, where's this, where's this, where's this? Yeah, that's right. We do. That's a great way to put it. We have to chase a lot of stuff down. Yeah. I mean, even so, I, I'm still in a COVID vaccine trial. And this simple thing I saw witness firsthand, which was like, okay, well, I've, I've finished your, your vitals now. Let me go find the pharmacist so she can take the, the vaccine out of the freezer. And so I'm waiting around for 45 minutes you know, letting them take it out, come to room temperature. And like, that's just a lot of wasted time versus it'd be great to have that pharmacist just notified like, oh, Joe Kim's in the office. He got his first uh, procedure done, get the drug ready. So like, then it's ready automatically. Yeah, in, in different sites, you know, so that's a site process. In different sites have different processes to make that that faster. Generally, when a patient, for us, an example, uh, what we do, and maybe this is a good tip for any other research sites that's listening, is once a patient is checked into the facility, you don't want to start thawing the vaccine yet because it does have to, to thaw. It's been stored at negative 70 or 80 degrees. But once the patient does qualify and gets to a point, there should be a trigger to immediately take it out. Yeah. Um, sometimes the vials come in multi-dose vials and you know that you're going to have X number of patients come in. So you can take it out and let it thaw and it's good for six hours. So you can the patient doesn't have to wait as long, but it, it all, sometimes there, there's limited dose, uh, li limited vials, limited quantities, because a, a sponsor wasn't able to buy enough from another sponsor to supply for their study. And they don't want you to risk an entire 10 dose vial expiring because you only, you only had you know, two patients scheduled. They want to get more doses out of the vial. So yeah, some of that is very um, yeah. uh, you know, site basic. Yeah, yeah. But certainly there's no tools <laughs> that you're yeah. provided to help make that easier. Yeah. And then the, all the logs on top of, uh, so IP accountability, how many doses do we have? How many did we use? What time did it thaw? What time was it administered? Who did it? What time did we put it back in the refrigerator or the freezer? Like all those, they vary by sponsor. I mean, some large sponsors have very complicated logs that don't really need to be as complicated as they are. And it's all, you know, pen and paper. Like, why not barcode and software? You know, uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> so now I've got one binder that my one, my two unblinded pharmacists that are administering the vaccines are using. If I wanted to do any more patients, I need another pharmacist, but I still only have one binder, one log. So now they're like falling over each other. So we're trying to do the volume of patients we need. And this is, this was like real insight into what was happening in COVID. We were trying to get enroll thousands of patients but the bottleneck uh, was the number of 
I, I invited the vaccine administrators. I had to, to give the vaccine and yeah. they're just, they can't have three different logs for the same process because that gets messy and you don't want to make a mistake. So yeah, areas for improvement. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about trials that don't, don't have such high enrolling numbers of patients, right? So, well, let's start here. How many trials might you be in, you know conducting in any given month? So uh, this year we'll probably be doing, we'll have ongoing about 50, at any one time, uh, about 40 to 50 trials. Next year, it's looking to be about 50 to 60 trials. And that's being supported with a staff of 70 people, about 12, 13 of which are study coordinators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have other ancillary staff as well. Right. The real the real foot soldiers in this whole battle. And then, then you'll have a bunch of nurses and investigators that sort of do a lot of the, the clinical stuff yep. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Patient, patient engagement specialists, patient recruiters, research assistants, dedicated lab people. That's kind of how our model is. As we've grown, what's enabled us to do enroll more patients and take on more trials is parceling out the roles and responsibilities needed to support a study. Some mm-hmm. sites, the study coordinator does everything. Now, we have that study coordinator who is a registered nurse or uh, somebody with an advanced degree, just, just seeing patients, creating the source for the, the study visits, doing that element and like recruitment, data entry, regulatory, all done by different people. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So let's make the math easy because I, I can be done with arithmetic sure. here. So let's say you're doing 30 studies because there's 30 days a month. What's the cadence of patients you're seeing in each study? Is it like, are you seeing five patients from every study each month? Or is it like one a week? Great question. Yeah. This is a constant struggle. You really got to look at it like an assembly line, project management. What we know is we have to, we're, we're contracted for however many patients and we have to see those patients and we have to see them as quick as possible. We know that we have X number of patients that we can see in a day. And if we see all of those same patients for that same study in one day, say it's 60 patients in a day, we can be done enrolling for that study in one day if the goal is 60, or at least we have all those patients on this, coming on the same day. So now I've got my whole staff seeing all the patients for that one study. So now we've got consistency. We've got support staff. Everybody's focused on the same thing. It's easier in the lab, it's easier at the front office, and it's easier for everybody else because then you can re- allocate resources to ensuring consistency. Yeah. Uh, then there are all those 60 patients are coming back, whether it's a week later or a month later, on the same schedule. Yeah. So that so that, that now we can shift. So the next day, you can see patients for a different study. Yeah. Where, you, where sites can get in trouble is when you're seeing, you know, 120 patients for 10 different trials in one day. That that's now the lab has got so many different more uh, so many different lab manuals they have to go through. And it's just the scheduling rules, it just becomes way more complicated. So yeah, you, know, you try to block days for designated studies for, for patient visits, and it just makes planning everything easier. But it we have a difficult time doing that because patients have lives of their own and when they can come in and we sometimes move away from these bulk days as we call them and then we set ourselves up for trouble in the fall when we don't have as many days set aside for these fall flu vaccine trials where we know we have a high volume of patients we need to support but also you get yourself in trouble because you've got your low volume trials 
that maybe they only want you to roll five patients per week because they want to ensure like the quality. They don't want to overwhelm the system. Now you're trying to figure out, all right, where do we plug in these five patients? Or it's really 10 because five of them are going to no-show and that'll get you to your five. So that it's all trouble with, with the, the calendar. Right. And then so, and, and other trials where you might enroll a max of 20, let's say, and you can't get them all in one day because it's, I don't know, it's asthma, right? Or whatever. Yep. Yep. That that looks very different then because you might see what, two patients a week, depending on, or four patients a month kind of thing? Yep. 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 Probably two a week. You know, it all depends on how many people you dedicate to it. We, we yeah. have a social anxiety disorder trial that was supposed to start, but the sponsor just found out that uh, it requires DEA, DEA licensure. I like, oh. guys not know that beforehand. So now we have to wait for that. But when it does start, you know, our, psych, our psychiatrist has to be available and he's available you know, half day a week, so which means we can probably only see two patients on those days that is available. But I didn't guarantee that two patients on Wednesday, once a week for six weeks gets us to the goal we need to get to. Yeah. Plus it's, you can't get a lot of practice in. It's not like those bulk days where you can, right. So you do two patients and then you, I'm guessing you kind of forget like how to do that trial until the next patient comes in the next week. And then you're like, Oh, wait a second. How, how does this all work again? Or how hard or easy is that? I, I mean, the coordinators do a really good job at knowing their trials and they do a good job at, at communicating with their backup team. I mean, our company, we have study review days where the coordinator who owns that trial gets on the teams and shares all the details of that trial. But the coordinators tend to forget if they don't see a patient for that study, uh, even the backup, if they don't consistently or on a, on a recurring basis, see at least one patient for one visit, they may forget. And, the, and then the visit takes a little bit longer for that patient. They have to talk with the, the, the primary coordinator. To, now, where does this blood go or, or whatever it may be that, that, that can be challenging, but I think, you know, sites do a pretty good job of it but it's it, that is definitely a problem that yeah i mean and in your defense like the, these are human beings and they can't be possibly memorize 20 trials in their head especially if you're not seeing patients kind of regularly and what i'm what i'm guessing and this is where i'm headed like the sponsors don't give you a lot of support really other than manuals to make sure you do things with integrity yeah yeah, they, they, am I being they, too mean? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't, no, I don't no, think I so, think, right? I think you're right. I mean, it's maybe not being too mean. I mean, I guess we're being a little hard on the sponsors. Some <laughs> do it better than others, but yeah. uh, you know, you think about it. You've got the protocol, you've got these manuals, and you've got the the, the pre-site visit. You don't get any details. The investigator meeting, which are now remote, there those are where you get all the meat and the details of the trials, what you're what you're going to need to know about this study to help you do it. And that's like a two half days over Google teams or zoom or whatever it is that um, they have to learn all about this trial. And even then it, it's all the details aren't fleshed out. And I'd like to hope that they could flesh every detail out, but the reality is we can't, we, we learn by doing that. What, what, what needs to be done better. and corrected. Yeah. yeah. I often think about like a, a rehearsal dinner for a wedding. Like yeah. you can't, you can't read a document about the rehearsal dinner three months out and then actually pull it off on your wedding day. Right. There's a reason why that rehearsal dinner is literally the night before and everyone's there like walking through it. Like, cause you don't yeah. want a lot too much time to wait before the actual ceremony. And like you said, you got to learn by doing. So yeah, having a manual months ahead of the actual thing is, is kind of like the worst way to do it. I mean, we wouldn't do it for yeah. a rehearsal dinner. So why would we do it for a, 
a really complicated scientific study. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's written by really complicated scientific individual and then yeah. left to interpret by you know, other people. And people are people and interpret things differently sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I I guess it all boils down to this notion of like words will fail us just because they they can't capture, you know, every single thing, uh, particularly around a complicated activity like clinical research. Yep. yep. Yeah. Adam, it's been fantastic having you on board. Thank you for bearing your soul. I think you've <laughs> highlighted a lot of common things that sites and uh, clinicians are going through when they when they try and execute research. I mean, this is. This is, this is God's work you're doing here. This is not, you know, you're not just trying to, you know, sell sugar water or something. You're, you're advancing medicine, you're developing therapies. So uh, hats off yeah. to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And it's challenging. It, it, it's definitely challenging. It requires a lot of work. You know, talking about the issues that we face is, is step one. Talking about solutions is, is, is the next step. And it's it's an interesting time to be doing this. So thank yeah, you for having me. Joe. For sure. Yeah. Next time we'll talk about like payments. I know that's a <laughs> that can be a really uh, fun topic too. But thanks again, Adam. It's been great having you. Have an awesome rest of your day. All right. You too. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Research Confidential. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information about us, show notes, transcripts, and resources, please visit proofpilot.com. If you'd like to debunk a clinical research myth, share some war stories, or maybe just show our audience what kind of heroics it takes to pull off gold standard research, send us your thoughts, episode ideas, and more to help at proofpilot.com. This show was presented by Proofpilot and is powered by Outcomes Rocket. Outcomes Rocket.